You're listening to Broadcast Behind the Screens, the podcast brought to you by Broadcast and Broadcast Intelligence. This week, we're chatting to Hugo Chegwin and Sarah Asante about upcoming day of series Speak Ahead, and we'll also be discussing our green lights of the week, so stay tuned. Hey there, and welcome back. I'm Heather Fallon, one of the reporters on Broadcast. And I'm Alice Fredman, Head of Content at Broadcast Intelligence. This is a slightly chaotic podcast from start to finish. We are both currently recording. Heather is sitting on the floor by her hotel room. I'm hotspotting my phone. We're in Sheffield at the minute because we're attending DocFest this week. It's all slightly chaotic, but... I mean, we're having a good time and we'll be able to bring you some of our highlights from the festival next week. But for now, we are enjoying the thrills of a budget hotel's dodgy Wi-Fi. So, so bad. But it's been a busy week in commissioning news and just so many announcements, so many programmes greenlit. So before we jump into this week's interview, which features writer and actor Hugo Chegwin, if you've heard of a little show called People Just Do Nothing, you might have heard of him and UK TV Commissioner Sarah Sante. But first, let's do our Green Lights of the Week. Yes, so this week in No Small News, we saw the UK launch of Paramount Plus, as well as the announcement that the service wants to commission 150 hours of international originals by 2025, Some of the latest commissions announced this week from the UK include a documentary about the Premier League from David Beckham's indie Studio 99 and Story Films. This one tells the story of the English League through its stars. It features interviews and archive as international billionaires made their mark on the sport during the noughties. There's also a six-part series from Curve Films, which is giving me a little bit of Selling Sunset. It's called Hot Yachts, and it's set in South Florida, and it follows a group of competitive yacht brokers. Looking forward to Paramount's answer to Selling Sunset. Mine for me, over on Channel 4, there was a very interesting commission for RDF Television. Its working title is currently The Really, Really Rude Puppet Show. And it's going to see celebrities read out their erotic fan fiction, which will then be acted out by puppets. Um, So, you know, we know Fifty Shades of Grey started off as some Twilight fan fiction. So I think this could get really, really rude. Yeah, I mean, Channel 4 does want to be edgy and provocative and a erotic puppet show is definitely not something you'd see on every channel. (laughs) No, it's kind of like a companion piece to Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared, which is another chaotic puppet show. So looking forward to that. Also this week, as Love Island continues to sweep the nation once more, it was announced that next year it's going to be returning back to its winter series. So in 2023, in around February time, there's going to be a winter series, which is set in South Africa. And then the usual summer romance in Mallorca in the summer. So double bill of Love Island heading our way next year. So moving away from the sun-soaked Mallorcan villa, um, we're going to bring it back to Channel 5 and daytime. Um, So they announced two huge daytime orders this week, which were revealed by broadcast earlier this month. 
both at 80 parters. Um, so Raise the Roof and Motion Content Group have created the Holiday Home Show, which sees Amanda Lamb, JB Gill and Sam Pinkham go head to head to find the best holiday rentals across Europe. Meanwhile, STV has secured the Great Auction Showdown with Paul Martin, which sees the antiques expert go head to head with various rival experts to compete at auctions. All the latest green lights and commissioning news can be found on broadcast and on broadcast intelligence's program index because honestly there were so many this week that's just a selection of some of the ones that we had yeah and if you are interested in hearing more about paramount the shiny new stream on the block this week on thursday broadcast are hosting a uh, commissioner briefing with paramount plus it's exclusive for broadcast intelligence subscribers only so i really recommend Signing up to Broadcast Intelligence, coming along to our event, it's virtual, so that means it's accessible for everyone, no matter where you are in the world. And our subscribers also get exclusive one-to-one meetings after the event. So why wouldn't you sign up, really? (laughs) Nicely done. So, on to this week's very lovely guests. Yeah, this week we were so lucky. We had the funnest Friday ever. We went into the studio with the lovely Hugo Chagrin and Sarah Sante to discuss Dave's upcoming comedy Sneakerhead, which does Hugo as Russell and was ordered by Sarah for the channel. As we kind of alluded to earlier, uh, it's a slightly chaotic podcast week. It's worth saying beforehand that one of our SD cards was sadly corrupted so we only had one feed this week so apologies in advance if the quality isn't quite as high as it normally would be but all in all we still had a really great chat about a really exciting upcoming show yeah I'm glad that we both had the paranoia of always backing things up so let that always be a reminder for I'm sure you all work with many many things that need to be recorded uh always have a backup (laughs) so without further ado let's take a listen Welcome to Broadcast Behind the Screens. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. So shall we get you guys to introduce yourselves first? Because there's actually four of us today rather than the usual one-on-one interview. <laughs> I'm Hugo Chegwin from, do I, should I say the shows I've been in? Yeah. Okay. All of them. Mm-hmm. All three of them. <laughs> Shout them out. <laughs> uh, people just do nothing. The curse and now sneak ahead. Very nice. Big time. Had a busy year, haven't you? Well... <laughs> Yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> and I'm Sarah Asante. I am Comedy Commissioner at UK TV, formerly Comedy Commissioner at BBC Comedy. Um, so some of my credits include Bamalam, Dreaming Whilst Black, Behind the Filter. And for UK TV, um, I recently commissioned Newark Newark for Gold and more recently Sneakerhead for Dave. So we're here to chat today about Sneakerhead. And I think to start, I'd love to know from both of you what it was that drew you to the project and what was the magic ingredient for it? I like, because I used to work in a footlocker. So when the idea super early of just working in a low-end retail shop, I don't know if you can call it low-end, actually. I don't know the right way to say... Not footlocker, footlocker's up there. No, yeah. footlocker's... It's not a Sports footlocker's Direct. Yeah. 150 <laughs> minimum for a pair. But yeah... A shop like Sports Direct, mm-hmm. like it's very relatable and I just felt like it could connect with people. And I feel it's, you know, working a job like that is a rite of passage for a lot of people, especially when they're young or old. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a job. I don't think it's necessarily super challenging to maybe get 
but it's a real hard, honest job, and I like that. Yeah, and I remember having a conversation with you, Sarah, where you were saying that you were really eager to find these stories of kind of 20 to 30-somethings that are not necessarily struggling, but they're having a kind of second coming of age where mm-hmm. it's you're an adult now and you're now trying to figure out who your adult self is. So yeah, was that the, that the appeal with Sneakerhead? Definitely. Um, I was at the Beeb when Sneakerhead was first kind of um, being discussed and developed there. We were eyeing it up for BBC3. And we were really excited to keep the relationship going with all of the people just do nothing gang. And we had Lily um, in a show. We had uh, Mustafa in mind for another show. And when they said, oh, we've got Hugo attached, he's a total sneakerhead. He's so spot on for this. He's worked in trainer shops. He's this like really appealed to him. As soon as it came his way, I said, that is good casting. And I love when an idea comes with a person attached because you can really kind of envisage the type of energy you're going to get from your lead character. So when it popped back up on the radar when I joined UKTV last year, I said, oh, brilliant. I love that this idea hasn't, you know, fallen by the wayside. We, this, we can still see me- merits in it. A few tweaks to make it kind of gold friend, uh, day friendly. And yeah, just, you know, I love workplace sitcoms as a general rule. Um, I've worked in retail um, in my younger days. I was um, menswear, men's shoes and men's coats in House of Fraser. You know, and the people that you meet along the way, you get the kind of lifers who've been on the shop floor for 30 years and you get the people like me who are sort of like, just weekends, I'm going to college, this is not my life. So, and it was those two (laughs) groups rubbing against each other. So yeah, I love the, immediately I love the appeal and I knew how universal that the story of sneakerhead, sneaker shop, that whole ecosystem would be so really really great that it landed in my lap yeah thank thank you <laughs> it's mad because i don't think like i always just think of like corrupt fm people we're like we're one and being seen as individuals is mad to me yeah, yeah. how's it been going kind of out on your own i mean like I, I never really feel like i'm out on my own because we're all genuine tight friends like mm. the communication is constant it's like mm. hourly I just felt my watch. I'm sure that's the group chat. <laughs> We're going Glastonbury tomorrow. Oh, amazing. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. But I think that just kind of goes to show whenever you have, like, a really decent unit where everyone has multiple skills, you're all, you know, in terms of people just do nothing, I know that you didn't just write it, you created it, you, um, uh, you star in it. You started off by putting it out there on YouTube before yeah. anyone at Rough Cut came along to kind of help you develop it and refine it more and things like that so yeah it's mad there's no reason why you shouldn't split up because you've all got such amazing skills steve is just an incredible writer and a great performer Ditto yeah for you so you yeah know. It's, it's just weird like i don't see us as part of like this bigger industry like i just see us as mates and right. like hopefully not but it's like temp could be temporary like it, this could all go in a minute because there's the landscape changes and there are so many young, talented people that you see on, like like it was YouTube for us, but now mm-hmm. it's like Instagram. Yeah, like guys like Munya or Mo. I mean, they're like in their own right, like amazing, but they're the new, mm-hmm. and you always have to be on your toes. And you know, like your opportunities can go. And and being just in one thing, that's just one thing. Yeah, probably no, won't. I think I see you guys as the original One Direction. You've gone on to do your own <laughs> you. private, you've done your individual projects, yeah. and then you get back together as a unit again. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All I, right, I, maybe not One Direction. Yeah, G unit. Say, G unit. Yeah, nice. I'm Tony Yeah. But in terms of the whole, you know, there's 
you know, newcomers like a Mo and newcomers like a Munya. From a programme making perspective and from a programme development perspective, what you guys did all those years ago led the way for a Mo and a Michael Dapper and a Munya to yeah. kind of find their way. They knew you've got to go out there and make your own thing and then you'll maybe get on the radar of decision makers. Yeah, I wanted to ask actually because People Just Do Nothing was such a big hit and that all started off from a YouTube skit. So do you still now look at YouTube videos yourself? You mentioned like Munya Chihuahua and people like that. Is that where you're looking when you look at interesting comedy shows that are coming up? And is that where you think the best kind of place to source new talent is i see it like rap music like i'll i'll watch them to see what the new wave is but if i'm digging for samples then i'll watch real stuff like bargain brits abroad cruise ship documentaries and like just things like that Mm. where i guess get inspired by little bits of realness rather than seeing what other people are doing and then trying to sort of do that too, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense. I think from our perspective, I mean, even if you look at the sneakerhead cast, you know, people like Zoo started off by doing um, clips online. Um, Lucia yeah. um, definitely um, started her um, creative life online. Um, so I think as an industry, we are very, very clued up on where to look um, for the next bright voice, face, you know, whatever it is. We have so many usual places we look like an Edinburgh Fest or a Soho Theatre and all that kind of thing. And there'll always be a steady supply of writer performers out there. But if you do want to add a sprinkle of originality, authenticity, and even that lack of polish just brings something real to the mix. I think looking towards the internet, looking at people like Lucia who are just figuring it out, you know, and the shoddier the wig action and wardrobe action (laughs) on her videos, the better as far as I'm concerned, you know, um, and you never want to strip that kind of, that raw talent um, away. So bottling that is the big task for people like me, definitely. That's sick that you see that, because I remember when we started, we like sat down with like, um, I won't name, but they were like, oh yeah, if you want to do another show, then you need to like get some guy from like uh, Cambridge or Oxford to help. Now I'm glad seeing the new way where you don't need that. Obviously, like, you know, if you're super smart and you can write and stuff, that's great. Mm -hmm. But I feel like maybe that wave of having to have gone down a certain educational route, Mm -hmm. like it doesn't, it's not... I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I think what you're saying is you probably didn't come across a commissioner that looked or sounded like me back in the day. Yeah. And I think that's the whole point. If you come from a non-conventional background, you then go seeking talent in non-conventional places. I'm nowhere near an Oxbridge. I would never send anyone to go and seek out the council of an Oxbridge. <laughs> We're not <laughs> to really, you know, keep that pipeline going. Um, I think there's far more exciting places to look. And I think... You know, all of this comes from a nervousness. You don't want to get things wrong. You want to, you know, reliably book something. And you know that guy or that person has done things well in the past. So let's use them again and let's use them again. But that attitude is what kept the door closed for a lot of people. So once the industry started to look at ways of swinging the door open a little bit more and then people like myself could kind of rise through the ranks and learn the ropes and have, you know, a decision-making say we also bring with us the 
areas and avenues we're aware of that one should be looking for talent you know I didn't go to Soho theatre before working in TV comedy I'm you'd more likely find me at Hackney Empire you'd more Mm. likely find me at Shepherds Bush um, Empire and things like that and if there aren't enough people in the industry that know about those places then they would class them as niche you know but as more and more developers and more and more researchers and more and more commissioners come from the background like myself looking at the internet looking at sort of outside comedy clubs it all makes sense that's exactly where we should be looking for our next voices yeah it's like with everything like music fashion Mm -hmm. like it it all comes from those niche type like which to me isn't but yeah from there like steve was saying to me oh man we've changed he was saying (laughs) he needed some shoes and he went into burberry and they only had trainers so that comes from streetwear yes Absolutely. So, you know, like, I think that it's good that the television industry is now more open. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm. And what was it that made the series feel like it had its natural home on Dave? We were talking earlier about how different comedies end up kind of naturally finding their home in different places. Last week we spoke to Jack Rook and he was talking about how Big Boys found its home on Channel 4. Mm-hmm. So what was it about Sneakerhead that makes it feel like a Dave show? Well, that's the interesting thing. Sneakerhead was originally developed at BBC Three, and it felt like a Dave show. So for it to find its way over to Dave made absolute sense. I think for understanding the Dave ethos, you know, that hit of wit, that, that comes through in the writing. It's really sharp, it's really observant. I think even the subject matter, the dying high street, zero contract hours, people in their 20s trying to figure it out, mingling with someone in his 30s who absolutely hasn't figured it out. Early Early 30s. 30s. (laughs) Who absolutely hasn't figured it out. It's such a rich world to kind of mine from because you get that, you know, the, the spread that we have in the cast is exactly who you'd expect to find on that high street, is exactly who you would expect to be tuning in at home. So we hope that a lot of what we cover in the show in terms of shoddy work contracts, shoddy relationships, all of that kind of thing <laughs> is very relatable to the audience. What do you reckon, Hugo? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree with what you're saying. And also, like... I guess because I am maybe from an older generation, there's like four main channels, but that's not the case anymore. Like, Mm. you know, there's so much channels and places to watch things. And I think that from what I've heard from people that I worked with on the show, that Dave is the new place to get, you know, where I feel like there's a lot of good new stuff coming there from what I've been told. See, I love that. I love that you're not sort of TV aficionado, but the news about what Dave brings to the table and what how Dave is positioned in the ecosystem is really great. Yeah. You know, and I think that the shows that are on there, the comedy Ent stuff is just absolutely smashing it. We've got people like Richard Iowadi, David Mitchell, Tom Allen running shows on Dave. And then, of course, Zoo is doing his thing in the cooking space um, for the channel. He's bringing a lot of wit and a lot of personality to it. So a show that has... Has a lot of wit and personality it's such a brilliant cast everyone is so recognizable everyone with their own kind of poster you could do multiple bullet points mm-hmm. about who they are and what they bring to the table under it it just it's a no-brainer for it to be on day i think we should call him big bafta zoo i was gonna <laughs> say you've mentioned the big stepper the are amazing the b-word around the zoo, BAFTA, <laughs> BAFTA award-winning zoo yeah. how was it was his first scripted role and how was that 
for him and for all of you. He was great. Like, I mean, he was super professional. He knew his lines way better than me. (laughs) He, like, yeah, he got the emotion right. Less takes than me. I mean, (laughs) he's great. Like, from Zoo used to be on Radar Radio, which was like uh, sort of youth independent internet radio thing like Maya Jammer came from there mm. quite a lot of people from Rinse FM came from there mm. and um I remember when we went on his show I was like this guy's a star like I felt that and mm. I said that to the others and then we did another event and he he was on his own presenting this event like for me I'd be extremely anxious mm. he was a star and I, and I mentioned Zoo uh, early on to the producer Ash I was like, we should get Zoo in there. I never really have great ideas, but I think maybe that was quite a good one. That was a great one. Yeah. Because we love your chemistry. You guys seem like you've been mates for ages, um, even before the cameras started rolling. So I'm really pleased to know that it was just like a couple of glimpses in a couple of rooms over the years. Yeah. And that's what made you kind of <laughs> I never that. spent real time with him, right. but like, I don't know, I just felt... Not in a weird way, but I was just like watching him and right. like he captured, I have a short attention span and he just captured my attention. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, this guy's a star. What were some of your favourite moments on set? So we're filming in Croydon and outside when we're filming, there's like these uh, young kids doing drill freestyles outside. And it was interrupting our filming a little bit, but it was cool. And Zoo, he was on, on job, but he was sort of distracted by it. A little bit like I could see his eyes like fleeting outside <laughs> and then I was like his scene was done I was like you should go out there man and he went out he was gonna go anyway there's not, nothing to do with me <laughs> he went out there and he started freestyling with them and then one of the videos became like a big viral thing that he did no like way. his alphabet oh my god right. he's just incredible he's and I think it's that, it's that young hunger it's that kind of I'm you know what's the line from Hamilton I'm not gonna miss my shot I think the minute he's been able to be put front and center he's just giving us what he always had he's not turning on the zoo show it is the zoo show yeah. it comes from him naturally all day every day um and the team at rough cut actually told me a story and i don't know if it's true or not but i love it so i was um, repeat it which was he was really nervous to work with you because he was a massive fan of people just do nothing he was really nervous to be working with professional actors in general and you wouldn't imagine he'd have imposter syndrome but it was starting to creep in and how he overcame that was by reading the entire script not just his parts yeah which is why that day i came on the set visit and people were fluffing or people were getting lost. He was like, no, 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 your line is... No, 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 what your bit is... And I was like, look at this. Look at what... <laughs> look Running at the monster the we've built. <laughs> yeah. Where he is the most profesh when he is surrounded by people that have been doing it longer just because he didn't want to be the weakest link. Yeah. And I love that as a work ethic and I love mm. that as a personality And he trait. went to bed the latest because every two days he had to go see Fluffy's barber. Look at that. So. Look at that. <laughs> Trying to stay fresh for the camera. Yeah, yeah, always. <laughs> I'd be like, but we're finishing. Like, we're up at five. And he's like, yeah, no, I've got to go see Fluffy. I've got to love all... that about him. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. I like that he's called Fluffy as well. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> yeah, Why not? Like, yeah. What is actually you guys' relationship in the show? I don't think we've actually really touched on... The story. What... Yeah. yeah. Tell us, tell us about the show. Ahead. So it's about... Uh, a guy called Russell that lives in, we're setting it in Peterborough, Peterborough, 
actually. Uh, and he, yeah, he's like mid late thirties, sort of doesn't know what he's kind of doing with his life in a bad relationship, and then he gets by default presented with an opportunity to become a manager of a sports shop, which I don't think he really knows what he's stepping into <laughs> and is maybe not capable of doing this. But I think it's sort of his moment to, in quotation marks, become a man and sort of step up mm-hmm. badly. <laughs> yes, he's rising to the occasion, but he's surrounded by a bit of a ragtag bunch of colleagues. So they were your colleagues one day and now you're in charge of them the next day, yeah. um, which is a really interesting dynamic for anyone to oh. be in. Now they it don't is. want to come and have lunch with you anymore. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I, was your, I was Heather's colleague and then I was her manager for a bit. <laughs> I liked you being my manager. It was quite fun. Mm-hmm. You, have, you have to say that because, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm here. <laughs> Do you think that's why, Sarah, workplace comedies are, like, so popular? Because, ev- like, we've spoken about this now and everyone here has a story about their first job or a shit job they had when they were at uni or something like that. Like, Yeah, it's- there's not many places where you can kind of pinpoint a universal experience. You know, if you do, like, a massive family comedy and you've come, you're an only child and you've just got you and mum there, you might not fully relate if you do a kind of something that's set in, you know, a big city and there's lots going on. You might not find that your audience can fully relate, but this kind of small town, but not that small, trainer shop, we all are familiar with, either as purchasers or as working in retail. It really is retail Mm. um, that we're examining it's not specific to selling sports goods it really is who comes in and out of that space who you would expect to find in that space how many times have you walked in a shop that's barely kind of stocked and the staff don't even look up to acknowledge you and you could you know have 19 things in your arms looking for the changing room and no one's coming to help it's that kind of environment so as punters or as workers we've we've traversed those spaces so i think for an audience there's all of that recognizable kind of experience going on yeah it's true and i moved out of london a few years ago and like these shops exist everywhere yeah. like on every high street all across the uk yeah. there is these shops i kind of want to know just kind of almost on my own thing like who is exciting and up and coming in the comedy space who oh, should we be checking out whose tiktok should we watching whose stand-up shows should we trying to get to while there are five and then in like six months a year's time we can be like oh, i saw them who are you enjoying at the minute hugo what are you it's watching real tough yeah I don't watch like a lot of comedy stuff that that's not because I make comedy shows or anything I just at the moment watch yeah like I said like mundane documentaries (laughs) like Bargain Brits Abroad or like yeah yeah there's one called the Savoy I'll just watch those because Sometimes I feel it's like a real investment to what I do watch series and stuff. We can broaden it out, but it yeah. doesn't just have to be comedy. <laughs> I'm to What's happening great... at the Savoy? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah we're Is having... that like the Claridge's doc, that three parter where they go behind the scenes? Yeah. I love that shit. <laughs> yeah. It's it's good. It's just I, I don't know, I just find it, it I feel like it's not a real investment. Sometimes I just can't invest like a lot. I love fuck that's delicious. It's the alchemist and those guys. Yeah. That's my favourite show. That's what I get excited for. Nice. Random. Um, for me, I I think I definitely do watch a lot of dramas on my de- downtime just because I'm sort of swimming in comedy waters all day, every day. 
And yeah, I'm just sort of very, very basic in my choices. It's whatever anyone's loving on Netflix. Just finished the Ozarks. Just got into Stranger Things part one. Oh of yeah, the last. Isn't it unbelievable? Yeah, yeah. Watch that. Oh, oh. That's freaking believable. And what I love is that team have become more social savvy. So I follow um, uh, Netflix and Stranger Things on Twitter, and you see Vecna in the chair with his fucking Starbucks game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's just yeah. the freakiest thing. The things I watch on Netflix are escapist. The things I watch on British TV are really about the writing and the craft of it all. And I do get a lot out of it. I really enjoy Bloods. I recently watched um, Help with um, Jodie Comer, which was really harrowing. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I was just sort of, is it too soon to start watching covid things? But actually... I've put it off. Yeah, I watched the first Powerful. Episode. Really, really powerful. Yeah. She's incredible. Well, I think that's probably a great place to finish up. Um, thank you guys both so much for coming and joining us on the pod today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. That was so much fun. It's really lovely to hear that the people just do nothing guys all stay in touch. I think Sarah had some really interesting insight into comedy commissions and why workplace comedies work. All in all, it was just very lovely to have both Sarah and Hugo in person with us as well. Yeah, it's always good to hear both sides of things, both the conception of the show from Sarah and how that fits in with Dave and also Hugo's perspective from actually ting and being on the show. And uh, I really enjoyed the uh, little insight about Big Zoo's work ethic as well. I thought that was really sweet. Big fan of Big Zoo. And that is all we have time for this week. So thanks again for listening. And we'll be back next week with more broadcast behind the screens from less chaotic setup. Uh, in the meantime, our previous episodes include a conversation with Dolly Alderton about her show, Everything I Know About Love. We've also got an episode with Jack Rook about big boys. So be sure to check those out. And if you're feeling generous, you can rate us five stars. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.